good, and it's great to see you, and uh, especially if this is your first time here. I had the opportunity of meeting uh, uh, several people actually in the lobby this morning. This is the very first time here, and uh, we want to give you a special welcome if today is your first time. And uh, yeah, welcome those who are here for the very first time. That's awesome. This is the last uh, Sunday of our summer series. I know that the calendar says it's still summer but the weather says that summer ended sometime last Thursday night, in the night. And I, uh, you know, go out the, out the door with the dog first thing in the morning. And, you know, you're right out the door and it's like, oh, oh, sweater, sweater, sweater. Back in, <laughs> get a coat on or a sweater or something and off we go. Uh, hopefully you've had a great summer. Hopefully you've enjoyed our summer series, Flip Flops. Um, and even though we titled this series Flip Flops, or really only a couple of Sundays where it was hot enough that I felt comfortable wearing flip-flops uh, to church. So I've been in shoes all summer long and instead of flip-flops. Uh, next year, we'll try a little reverse psychology. We'll call the series Mucklucks. And uh, maybe we'll have a really, really hot, hot summer. Um, I'm a bit weird. You know that. We're all a bit weird. You just don't know how weird you are, right? And I'll tell you why I'm, I'm weird. I, I really, really love hot, humid weather. The hotter it is, the better I like it. And uh, I'm always cold. And I've, I've never, I don't think, uh, I, don't, I don't think I've ever said to Gayla, like, it's just too hot. I need to go inside. Like, I don't think I've ever said that. I remember I was in Denver one day and it was 108 and, uh, and they were saying, you know, be really careful. It's really hot out there, blah, blah, blah. And I went for a walk. And I just like, you know, just soaking it up. Uh, in Israel, when we were over there not too long ago, it was 44 degrees in Galilee. And uh, we'll never go in June again, I don't think. It was a little too, too close to their hot season. Uh, but I love hot weather. Um, I hate being cold. I dread winter. I don't think God ever intended for people to live this far north. Uh, I, I think, really, I think in heaven, God will say like, New Brunswick? Like, really? Like, okay. Anyhow, I, I think uh, never intended for that. Uh, but as much as I don't like cooler weather, I do like this time of year. That's one of the reasons why I'm a little weird. And Gayla and I like this season so much that we named one of our daughters Autumn. That's how much we like this time of year. Uh, I love all of the, the restarts this time of year. There are a lot of things that start up again. Kids are going back to school. Any cheers from parents? Any boos from kids? No, you're okay? All right, all right, all right. That's fine, that's fine. Uh, yesterday, we took our oldest daughter, Hope, to university. And that was weird. That was really weird. And there were, you know, people there that we went to school with that were also dropping off their kids to university, which was weird. And some of the, the professors that I had are still there. They look a little different, um, but they're still there. And I think it's got to be weird to be a professor when some of your students are coming back with their kids. And, and that's, that's a little weird. Uh, but I love restarts. I, um, a lot of things, you know, are just kind of, kind of down for the summer or off for the summer. And then they kind of restart again in September. Uh, I love this time of year around our church, around Moncton Wesleyan, when everything kind of gets rolling and back up and, and running again. And people are gearing up their ministries for the fall. And there's lots of new ideas and new initiatives coming our way. Lots of opportunities for you to get connected into Moncton Wesleyan if you've been 
you know, tracking with us for a couple of months and you're feeling like, well, I really need to know more people or I need to get into a group or I need to get connected. All of those things are, are coming. So be watching for that. And uh, you need to get your family or yourself involved in the, the community of this church, the family of this church. Uh, we have some new stuff coming at you in the next few weeks. And I'm just telling you in advance that you're going to love it. <clears throat> yeah. That's what I thought, like four of you. And, and then a lot of people like, no, I, I hate new stuff. And I, I, I know that I'm not. No, you don't hate new stuff. You like new cars. You like new babies. And you like new ideas around your church. All right. Yeah, you're not sure. You're like, that is some kind of sales job right there. Um, speaking of new, we have several new followers of Jesus Christ in our church. Isn't that exciting? That's exciting. So quick word, quick word. If you have made a recent decision to follow Jesus, if you've been one of those who have recently stood at the end of the service, which by the way, we're going to do again today. Uh, quick couple of things for you to know. First of all, we have free Bibles at the, the Welcome Center in the lobby. You can stop there and say, Pastor Tim told me that you would give me a free Bible, and they will give you a free Bible. So do that. Uh, if you, if you can start reading in the New Testament, uh, if you can start reading the book of Mark. It's a great place just to start, start reading. Also, um, talk to us about baptism. Let us know that you made that commitment. And uh, we would love to, to explain baptism to you. Baptism is an outward demonstration of an inward transformation. That's what it is. It's the symbolism of uh, your old life uh, going down and you being raised up and having brand new life in Jesus Christ the same way that Jesus Christ died for you, but he was resurrected. That's the symbolism in the water washing everything away. And uh, anyhow, we would love to talk to you about baptism. Uh, also, I highly recommend that you uh, be watching for and sign up for and attend Alpha this fall. If you're a new follower of Christ, uh, if you're a relatively new believer, if you've never gone through Alpha, get out of my way, whatever that is that's flying around. Um, I highly recommend that you attend uh, the Alpha course. Alpha is the absolute best way uh, to learn more about, about Christ, about your Bible, and why we believe what we believe. Take a friend and register. Say, come on, you're going with me to Alpha, and, uh, and you will love it. Uh, money back guarantee on Alpha. Um, it's probably free anyhow, but money back guarantee. And we'll be announcing the, the times of the next course and all that. So be watching for that. So tell us any time about baptism. You can put it on your card today. And you know here at Moncton Wesley, we will baptize you any Sunday of the year. Uh, we would love to do that. So we said at the beginning of this series, which uh, it's been a series just in the book of Isaiah, uh, that the main themes in the, in the book of Isaiah our vision and salvation. Isaiah is a prophet, which means that God was speaking to him directly and uh, giving him a very timely and specific message. And, uh, and Isaiah had that undeniable responsibility to share what, what God was downloading into his spirit, into his heart and his mind. He had this, this responsibility, like, I have got to go tell people what God is telling me, whether they want to hear it 
or not. Um, and I feel that way most weeks of the year. I've got to get out there and I've got to tell people what God is uh, telling me to say, whether people want to hear it or not. And prophets weren't always the most popular people in town. They were often chased out of town and people would throw rocks at them and we don't want to hear that and get out of here and all that. Uh, they had to say some pretty tough stuff. And frankly, we don't always like to hear what we're doing wrong or what the right way is even if we know we're doing wrong, even if we think there probably is a better way to, to do this, there's something about us that we just, we just don't like to hear that. So Isaiah shows up and he starts telling people why they're in the mess that they're in and all the ways that they've ignored God, all the ways that they've put their own personal agendas ahead of God's agenda and God's plan for their lives and so on. And, and Isaiah doesn't just point out, okay, this is, this is how your life is messed up or this is why this is happening to you. But he also, you know, he gives people hope and uh, he tells them how they can turn their situation around or where their lives could be if they would just, if they would just trust God, if they would just return to God, if they would just follow God with area, every area of their lives. And if we were honest, you are in church this morning, and if we were honest, we'd all say that we're not a whole lot different from the people that Isaiah was, was, was talking to. We've all gone astray. We've all had times when we've, we've turned down the voice, the volume of God's voice in our lives. We've all had times when we've seen something, we've thought, that, <laughs> I want that. Um, I, I'm probably not supposed to have that. That, that. That's probably not God's plan for my life. And you can hear the voice of God saying, stop, turn you know, don't do that. That's not, that'll harm you. That's not, you know, and we just, we just turn that volume down and we're just la, 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 la. I'm not listening. I'm not listening. Woo. And, and off we go. And we've all had times when we have done that. Uh, there's, we're far from perfect. We wander, we stray, we're sheep. We do things that we regret. And just like the people that Isaiah was dealing with, we're open to a word of hope. And uh, we're going we're gonna to hear a word of hope. And I hope, this, I hope this morning, that's the name of our other daughter, Hope. I hope this morning that you are open to a word of hope. Because no one wants to mess their lives up. I, I don't know if I've met anyone who's like, man, I, I just really hope I screw this up. You know, I just, this, this is, this is going to be the train wreck of all train wrecks and I can't wait. Uh, no one is, is, is intentionally, you know, trying to, to ruin their marriage or to ruin their career. And we'd all be open to a solution to our mess if someone would just show us the way. And that brings us to Isaiah chapter 53 for the last message in our flip-flop series, the last message of our summer series, Isaiah chapter 53. And this chapter is all about Jesus Christ. It is full of of prophecies about Jesus and his crucifixion. Now remember, Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus was even born. That would be like me finding a book, coming across a book that was written in the 13th century that was all about a boy named Clinton Timothy Guptill. Now you know my first name. About a boy named Clinton Timothy Guptill, born on Grand Manan Island, 
went off to Kingswood University and then Indiana Wesleyan University and ends up pastoring the Moncton Wesleyan Church. And that book was written in the 13th century. Would that not be a little unusual? If you found a book that was, that was written 700 years before your life and it was about you. And so here's Isaiah 700 years before Jesus and he writes this chapter, Isaiah 53, and it's amazing. The original recipients of Isaiah's ministry and his writing, they couldn't have known who it was that he was speaking of. But on this side, here we are on this side of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. We can say beyond any doubt that Isaiah was writing about Jesus, that God revealed this to Isaiah 700 years before Christ was born. It's pretty awesome. Here we go. Isaiah chapter 53, we're going to read the whole chapter. It's only 127 verses. Okay. Verse 1. Who has believed our message? To whom has the Lord revealed his powerful arm? My servant grew up in the Lord's presence like a tender green shoot, like a root in dry ground. There was nothing beautiful or majestic about his appearance, nothing to attract us to him. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We turned our backs on him and looked the other way. He was despised and we did not care. Yet it was our weakness, our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins. He was beaten so we could be whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. And all of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We've left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb through the slaughter, and as a sheep is silent before the shearers, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream. He was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and had never deceived anyone, but he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. He will enjoy a long life and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. When he sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. And I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for rebels." Isaiah acknowledges up front that Jesus is going to be totally different from what people are expecting. I think that's still true today. I think that that Jesus is different from what people are expecting. I think when you talk to people about Jesus, I think a lot of things come to their mind and and, and you just wish that they could they could see the real Jesus because the real Jesus is attractive. At first glance, Isaiah says, you're not going to see a Messiah. He's not going to look like a king. He's not going to be physically outstanding. There won't be obvious cues in his appearance that they just cause people to say, oh, oh, well, obviously that's him. That must be him. There's the Messiah right there. Isaiah says that that won't be the case. 
In fact, Isaiah uses, uh, he kind of writes with, a, with a, uh, uh, some, some contrast and irony to show us that at first glance, you're not going to be able to tell who it is. But if you keep looking deeper and deeper into God's Son, if you just keep listening and, and looking into Him deeper and deeper, the more that you look, you'll actually see that He's more beautiful than anyone. You won't see it at first. There won't be anything, you know, about Him physically that's just going to go, oh, wow, okay, obviously that, that must be God's Son. But if you keep looking and you, and you keep looking intently into who Jesus is, you're going to see that there's, there's no one like him. He's going to be more beautiful than anyone who has ever lived. If you really look into who he is and not just what he looks like, you'll see more beauty and more majesty than you'll ever find in any other human being. The deeper you look into Jesus, the more attractive he is. And that's why you should encourage people not to stop looking. Keep looking. Keep, keep studying. Keep, keep exploring. Who is Jesus Christ? Who is he? And the deeper you look, the more attractive he is. But not everyone immediately sees the beauty in Jesus. You know this to be true. Uh, maybe you're here this morning and someone uh, kept inviting you and inviting you and inviting you. And you thought, you know, all these things, all these things. Because at, at first glance, you're not thinking, well, that's the most awesome thing I've ever heard in my whole entire life. People glance over Jesus. They don't look deep enough. If they don't see something stunningly attractive right away, they, we just move our eyes on to the next thing or something that, that's a little more flashy. A lot of people don't see the real Jesus. Maybe instead of seeing the real Jesus, people do, all they see is the church. And we know that the church isn't perfect because we unlock the doors and people come in. Right? Right. <laughs> You're like, I don't know about that. Okay. Um, you, there is no such thing as a perfect church. And even if you stay home at the first church of me, myself, and I, you'll eventually disagree with yourself and have a church split, and that'll really hurt. There are no perfect churches because there are no perfect people. But when you say Jesus, people often think churches. And all they can think of is why they don't like church. You know, their parents dragged them to church or the church stunk or the services were boring. Or why are there so many churches and why do there have to be so many denominations? And what in the world is a Wesleyan anyhow? And, you know, and on and on and on. And, and maybe, maybe when you say, when you invite them, all they see is the church. And that's a bit of a stumbling block to them because there's so many churches and they're so different. Or, or you, you mentioned Jesus as someone, and instead of seeing the real Jesus, they, they see someone in their mind who calls themselves a Jesus follower, but the way that that person actually lives doesn't, doesn't add up with that. And that's a problem for a lot of people. Or maybe they see CNN Jesus, media Jesus, and, and, and they're all they know about Jesus is, is what they receive from, from media. And, and they, they're not really sure if they, if they like that Jesus or a judgmental Jesus, right? They, they, a lot of people have, have, have bumped into, they've come across, you know, angry, uh, uh, judgmental Christians who just want to knock the sin out of everybody. And, uh, and, and they're thinking, you know what, why would I want to be a part of that? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't need that in my life. 
Or maybe they see someone in their past who was in a position of power and they trusted that person as a representation of Jesus. And because that trust was broken, now they have a hard time picturing Jesus at all. A couple of weekends ago, uh, Gail and I were invited out to Capelet for some lobster. Anybody like lobster? Anybody like Capelet? You know, lobster just tastes better when you're in Capelet. It does. You like lobster. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever thought about what you're eating? Have you ever really looked a lobster in the face? I'd like to talk to the first guy who looked at a lobster and thought to himself, I'm going to eat you. That was a very brave man. That was a crazy man. Like, like who picked up one of those things? And how did they figure out that, that if you really can't do that until you boil that baby for like 20 minutes? How many lobsters did they go through before they figured out? No, no, boil. Oh, okay, okay, right? Lobsters do not look appetizing. If you look at a lobster and you think that's going to be yummy, it's only because you've already tried it and you know what's inside it is going to be good. But no, lobsters do not look appetizing. Lobsters look terrifying. Lobsters look like something that's going to eat you. Right? They don't, they don't look like a chocolate cake. They look, they're, they're terrifying. They're hideous. Okay? So think about that the next time you have lobster. Now that I've got everybody dreaming about lobster for lunch, Isaiah tells us that when the Messiah comes, not everyone is going to see right away how good he really is. There won't be anything obvious in his appearance. He's not going to be so uh, visually majestic or so stunningly, uh, so royally stunning that everyone thinks that, well, obviously he just, he just dropped from heaven. The way that you thought about your first child when it was born, right? And you thought, there's an angel from God. They just, just came straight from heaven. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Isaiah says it's not going to be that way when people see Jesus. And this is all part of God's design. Because God could have brought Jesus into the world in a way that, that, that was so over the top, that it just would have caused every person on the planet to just stand still and, and fall at his feet and worship him and just say, there it is, there's God's son. There, you know, but that's not the way that it happened. He could have given Jesus physical features like nothing that we've ever seen before so that we would obviously recognize him as the son of God. But God brought Jesus into our lives in a way that would require faith in a way that would require faith. You see, we'd have to listen to his teaching. We'd, we'd need to see the way that, that Jesus met the needs of people, the way that he, he ministered to people, the way that he cared for all people, regardless of their background or their wealth or who they were. Just the way that he loved everyone. The way that he stopped for the least of us. We need to watch him weep over cities. Watch him bring the dead back to life. Watch him uh, forgive people who have been caught in their sins and just love them and say, I forgive you, go and, and sin no more. We'd, we'd have to have faith. See, God's story is very different from the way that you and I would write it. 
if you didn't know, just, 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 just work with me here for a minute. If, if you didn't know the story of how God brought his son to planet Earth, if you didn't know the Christmas story at all, and we gave you a, 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 a pen and paper or an iPad or something and said, go ahead and write the story of how God would bring his son to earth or how you would bring your child to earth if you were God of the universe. And, and, and we said, go ahead, you, you come up with something. You would write something that sounded like the Avengers and Transformers had a baby. That's what you would, right? That you would write something that was so cosmically outstanding that it would just be so, off, the whole world would just, would just stop and say, there he is, and everyone would just, would just worship him immediately. If you've ever wondered if there is a God, if you've ever wrestled with the whole idea of a, of a creator, is it true? Is there a creator who, is, who, who not just created everything, but is actively involved in his creation? A creator who loves his creation to the point that he would send his son right into this this vortex of humanity that he created. The humanity that chose to turn their backs on, on the very one who created him. If you've ever wondered, if you've ever wrestled with whether or not Jesus really is God's son, if he came to earth fully human and yet fully God, that he actually suffered a brutal death on a sinner's cross to pay the penalty for the sins of mankind, including my sin, including your sin. If you've ever wrestled with this, that he was buried, uh, that, that he rose again. If you've ever wondered, you know, is it all true or is it all a joke? Maybe we did just climb out of a slime pit 600 million years ago. Maybe nothing matters. Maybe it's all pointless and meaningless. If you've ever wondered about all that, then Isaiah chapter 53 is for you today, okay? It's a gift to you because, again, 700 years before Jesus was even born, God breathed his, his wisdom. He just, he just put this this incredible knowledge in the heart and mind of a guy named uh, Isaiah. And, and he talked to him about the birth and the, the accuracy of Jesus Christ with such detail that only Jesus could fulfill that prophecy. It's amazing. It's, if you think about it, if you study it, if you want to know, is this all a joke? Is there really a God? Did his son actually come to this earth? Think about this. Isaiah wrote this 700 years before Jesus was even born. And Jesus comes to earth and he fulfills the prophecies. One after one after another and on and on. Only the Son of God could fulfill the prophecy of God. Isaiah is not a fictional character. You could say, well, you know, maybe, maybe it's all, you know, just made up stuff. Maybe they wrote it after Jesus was born or something like that. You know, how do we really know um, great discovery, the Dead Sea Scrolls. And when they found the Dead Sea Scrolls and started going through them, they found several, several like lengthy copies of Isaiah's writings that uh, were ancient. And we, we still have those. And, we, and, they, and they just match up word for word with the text uh, that we have today. So this is a real letter from a real dude. Isaiah uh, was a real person. 
Okay, jump back to verse 3 with me. We're going to jump back to verse 3, and we're going to fly through it again, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll wrap this up. So we're going to go back to verse 3, and we're going to follow some of these prophecies. Okay, that, again, let's just, let's just look at it, put it, throw it up on the screen here for you. He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows, acquainted with deepest grief. We know that Jesus was despised and rejected by the Pharisees. Uh, the Pharisees were the religious nuts, the religious freaks of Jesus' day, and they refused to accept him. We know that Jesus was followed. If you, if you read the first uh, few books of the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, hold the horse till I get on. That's how I learned it. Um, you with me? Um, if, you, if you read those books, you know that Jesus did have some followers. There was a group of people who traveled with him, and they followed him, but he was largely uh, rejected by the population. And as the pressure mounted against Jesus, people like us turned our backs on him. And, uh, and even Peter, one of his closest disciples, uh, when he was in the pressure cooker of life, uh, and they said, you, 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 you're a follower of Jesus. Peter said, I don't know the guy. I don't know, who you are. I don't know what you're talking about. It wasn't me. I don't know. And denied even knowing Jesus turned his back on him. Verse 4, yet it was our weakness he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. Again, follow Jesus through the writings uh, of people who knew him very well. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And you'll see... Uh, If you read it, you can just kind of feel the intensity of it. Build and build and build as God was putting on Jesus increasingly the weight of our sins up until the point of the crucifixion. And at times for Jesus, even though he was God's son, he was fully human. At times it was almost unbearable. And Jesus would have to pull away from the crowds and be like, you know, I just got to go and pray. And he'd fall on his face before God. And just the weight of all of that was the pressure that he was under. Verse 5, he was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. And it speaks uh, to the soldiers running a spear through the side of Jesus as he hung on a cross to make sure that he was dead. John uh, captured that in his, in his book, his gospel, uh, chapter 19, verse 34. John tells us that, that there were eyewitnesses there who saw the soldiers run a spear into Jesus' side. Isaiah said that Jesus would be beaten, that he would be whipped so that we could be whole. Um, when Isaiah wrote this, um, people were still sacrificing animals for their sins, right? Well, he's like, well, that sin's going to cost you a dove. And well, that was a doozy. That's going to cost you a goat. And buddy, I wouldn't show up if I was you without 10 goats for what you did, you know? And they better be spotless lambs too. I'm telling you that. Don't show up with any, any of those broken lambs and dirty lambs and all that. And th- that was still the, the system of, of repenting when Isaiah wrote this. No one could comprehend someone else standing in their place to take their punishment for their sins, to set them free from their sins. Nobody could comprehend that. They had no concept of this. They, they knew that, that shed blood atones for sin. They, they knew the concept of atonement, but they couldn't picture a person actually doing that for them. And we, know, we now know that Jesus was brutally beaten and whipped beyond recognition. Verse 6, the Lord laid on him the sins of us all. Now, if you have any conscience at all, you'll know that there are, there are times when, when you wrestle with your sin. 
you wrestle, you think about the weight of your sin. Your sins weigh on you. Sometimes you're, it, it disturbs you. If you get any, any conscience at all, uh, it, it can convict you. Now let's, let's do this this morning to kind of help us understand uh, what Jesus was going through on our behalf. Okay, so um, take a moment and maybe think about, uh, you know, just think about, you know, the weight of, of carrying, you know, my own junk, my own stuff, things that I've done that maybe disappoint disappoint God. And then what I want you to do is I want you to literally look down your row, look at the row that you're in, look to your left and look to your right. Go ahead and do that. And I want you to imagine taking on the sin of that row, that whole row. You're going to take on the sin for every person in that row for a whole day. Go ahead and have a look around. Some of you are sitting in some pretty rough rows. You're like, oh, Pastor Tim, can I get up and move? Don't get up and move. Can I get a new row? Imagine carrying the weight of your row for one day or carrying the weight of your row for one week. Imagine if we said, um, we're all going to take turns and this week, someone here in the church, uh, lucky you, you get to carry the weight of the sin of everyone in this room for a week. And then next Sunday, someone else would do it. How could you do it? You, you couldn't. You would, you would, you would crumble under the, the weight, the pressure of, of, of all of that, that, that burden as it weighed on you. And God laid on Jesus the sins of every person who has ever been born or ever will be born. God laid on him the sins of us all. That's the weight that Jesus was carrying. Verse 7 says that he never said a word. When he was arrested and brought before Pilate, and when he was constantly provoked by the soldiers, never said a word. They were trying to convict Jesus of nothing, uh, which is not easy. And the only way to convict someone of nothing is to trap them in something. And so they're trying to get Jesus to talk so that they could, they could take his words out of context so that they'd have something to, to trap him with. And they spit on him and they humiliated him and they whipped him. And Mark chapter 14, uh, verses 53 through 65 says that Jesus just took it. It didn't say a word. Verse 8, they led him out to Golgotha, a hill just outside the city gates. Verse 8 says, unjustly condemned, he was led away, and no one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short. It's like I said, they led him out to Golgotha, which is just outside the city gates in Jerusalem, where in the the face of the rock, it looks like a skull. Uh, I've been there many times. Today it's called the Garden Tomb. You can look it up this afternoon. Uh, you can look at the garden tomb and see this skull face. And uh, it really does look like a skull. And there Jesus died, his life cut short at the age of 33. Verse 9 tells us he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. Matthew tells us in his book, in Matthew chapter 27, that about a rich man named Joseph of Arimathea, who asked Pilate for Jesus' body, and he prepares Jesus' body for burial, and then he puts Jesus' body into this new tomb that Joseph had bought for himself. 
and uh, and he seals the tomb with the, with a with a big stone. And uh, those are crazy details for Isaiah to record 700 years before Jesus was even born. That God gives him the knowledge that he's going to be buried in a rich man's tomb. Uh, it's, it's, it's just fascinating. It's amazing. It's awesome. And just like Isaiah does in other parts of his book, that we've, we, you know, we've kind of been learning this, this summer, this, this rhythm that Isaiah has. He doesn't just leave us there with, with just the bad news or the dark side of the story. He doesn't just leave us there with, with no hope. Isaiah, he eventually turns a corner and he gives us the good news. And the good news in Isaiah chapter 53 shows up in verse 10 where it says it was the Lord's good plan. It was God's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he'll have many descendants. He'll enjoy a long life and glory in heaven with God. And the Lord's good plan will prosper him in his hands. It says it twice in verse 10 that this was all God's good plan. Now, most days, you probably wouldn't offer up one of your children for someone else's sin. Most days. Right? Most days, some days may, but most days you probably wouldn't do that. So why would God do this? Why would God substitute someone else's suffering for my salvation, for your salvation? Maybe you've never heard it this way before, but the whole story and all of history is a love story. The God loves you so much that he would go to any length. He would do anything to rescue you, to save you, to redeem you, to bring you back to him. You are the reason that Jesus willingly submitted his body to a Roman crucifixion. Jesus took your place so you would accept his offer of grace. So so at one point in your life, you'd be in an opportunity like this. You'd be in an environment where someone would would unpack the real Jesus for you. And and God's Holy Spirit would be there. And God would, would help you to see Jesus like you've never seen Jesus before. And you would understand, maybe for the very first time in your life, that Jesus did this. The reason all of this had to happen was so I could have an opportunity like this to believe to receive, to choose to follow Jesus Christ as my Savior, as the person who laid down his life for my sin, as a substitution for my sin, so that I could be forgiven, so that I could spend eternity with him. Jesus took your place so that you would accept his offer of grace. Another way to say it is Jesus died for you so that you could live for him. Now, if you want to follow it one more time, let's, let's go through it again, but it's going to be really quick. It goes like this. Isaiah chapter 53, his brokenness fixes my brokenness. He became weak for my weaknesses. He was despised for my disobedience. He was bruised for all the times that I'll fall down. He was rejected for all the times that I'll feel rejected or unwelcomed or ashamed. My sorrows weighed on him so that he could lift my sorrows from me. He took my punishment. I take his freedom. 
He was pierced for the things that pierced me, the things that cut deep in my life. He was crushed so that I could break free. He was beaten so that I could bounce back. He was whipped so that I could be healed. He was oppressed so that I could be free, free from oppression, free from depression, free from fear, free from anxiety, free from stress. He was led away to die so that I could walk away into new life. He was buried like a criminal so I could be raised like a captive set free. He was put in a rich man's grave. I will live with him forever in heaven. His life was an offering of sin so that we could offer him our everything. He was counted among the rebels so that we could be counted among the redeemed. He bore the sins of many so that we could bear his name. Amen. That's Isaiah chapter 53. It's good news. You'll never get better news than that. And then in the last three verses of this great chapter, Isaiah reveals God's master plan for Jesus' life and for our lives. And he says that that God's good plan will prosper. That God's good plan will prosper in Jesus' hands. That that it will be accomplished. That God will be satisfied by, by what the sacrifice of Jesus accomplishes. In the middle of verse 11, he says that, that Jesus' experience, the experience that Christ is going to go through, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous. Um, there are many here this morning who there was a point in your life where you accepted Jesus Christ in your life, and you're counted as the many. There have been many this summer who, uh, who have stood in, in a service at Bunkton Weston and said, I want to be counted among the many. I, I'm a, I want to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And, and you've made that most important decision. The whole point of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is that you would hear this good news and you would realize that Jesus died in your place and you would accept his offer of grace, that you would believe in him and follow him. So several weeks this summer, as I've been mentioning, uh, it's, it's, it's unfolded the way it's about to unfold right now where I have told you up front, I'm going, to, I'm going to pray a prayer and I'm going to invite you to pray with me. There's nothing special about the prayer or the words that I choose to say or anything like that. It, what's, what, what's, what happens is the decision that you make in your life. And following Jesus is not just a decision that you make. Following Jesus is a lifestyle that you choose. You're saying that, that I'm going to live my life uh, following him for the rest of my life. And he will be Lord of my life. He will be first in my life. And so I'm just going to lead you in a prayer. And you can pray it uh, out loud with me. You can pray it silently in your heart. And uh, if you realize this morning that today is the day, this is your time when you need to to choose uh, to follow Jesus, uh, then I invite you to pray this prayer with me. And then I'm telling you in advance, at the end of the prayer, uh, I'm going to ask, is there anyone here this morning who prayed this prayer for the first time today. Today is the day that you made your decision to follow Jesus. And I'm going to ask you to do something bold. I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet so that the congregation can cheer for you. We don't want this to be a, uh, you know, just a, a decision that nobody knows about. We want your church family to, to cheer and applaud. Uh, the scripture tells us that heaven uh, throws a party, that heaven rejoices when God's children come home. And so that's all we want to do. We want to cheer for you. 
someone also will hand you some information. Uh, we're not trying to freak anybody out. Uh, we don't want to drive you nuts. But someone will give you a little bit of information to get you started in this new decision. So let's, uh, let's pray together. And you pray with me if, uh, if today's a day that you're choosing to follow Jesus Christ with your life. Jesus, I thank you right now for this opportunity to believe in you and to give you my life. And Jesus, right now in this moment, I am saying that I will live for you, I will serve you, I will follow you for the rest of my life. And I invite you right now in this moment to come into my life, to to set me free, to forgive me of any wrong that I've ever done, to, to forgive me, to change me, to uh, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Jesus, I thank you today for, for your love, that you love me enough to die for me, that you took my place on the cross, that you took my punishment that you, so that you could set me free today, Sunday morning, August 31st, at the Moncton Wesleyan Church. Uh, Jesus, I give you my life. And I thank you for this opportunity. I thank you for what you're doing right now. And I will follow you and serve you for the rest of my life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.